The Boldly Now Show, Burning Desire, Big Ideas, Bold Action. Welcome to The Boldly Now Show. This is Michael Sean Conaway, and today I have a very special guest I'm really excited to talk with. His name is John D. Martini, uh, and Dr. Martini has been working in the field of human growth and development, human potential, uh, for many, many years. He is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, researcher, an author, and a global educator. John has developed a series of solutions and educational offerings from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment strategies, and personal development programs. Um, he helps people get past the things they need to get past to have the life and the world that they want, the career that they want, the finances they want. And we're going to get at some of the heart of the issue about how do we get in action in this life to have the things that we care about, the things we want show up, to have uh, the world evolve in a direction that we think is good for all of humanity. Dr. John Martini, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to get to participate again. Yeah, I, I just wanna start off a little bit with, look, I don't, I don't interview too many people that have the kind of um, uh, uh, breadth of experience that you have. Uh, both personally in the in the way you've transformed your own life and built your business, and also uh, the way you've helped you know countless other people to do that, you know it, it it seems to me that many of us are on the sidelines, wishing we were engaged in our life, wishing that we were um, being the cause of something big, or you know improving our relationships, or maybe improving our finances, or or just doing something that we want for ourselves in the world. Tell me, just like, give me the 10,000 foot view. You know, what's going on for us that keeps us on the sidelines? And how do we actually get off the sidelines and into action, actually into the game? This is a 24 hour program. That's right. We're good. We only have 23 hours and 99 minutes to go. <laughs> well, I've been blessed to study human behavior for quite a while. And one thing that I've concluded at this point anyway, is that human beings individually, moment by moment, live, make decisions, perceive and act according to what they value most. And they have a unique set of priorities or values that are like a fingerprint specific for them. And any time they they're doing something that's really, truly meaningful and inspiring and fulfilling that's highest on their value. They spontaneously are inspired to act. Mm. And they're willing to embrace pain or pleasure in the pursuit of that. So anything that's high on their values, they are spontaneously disciplined, reliable, and focused on. Right. But anything that's lower on that value list, they gradually procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate, and require extrinsic motivation, punishment if you don't do it, reward if you do, in order to get more engaged in doing it. So anytime an individual sets a goal that is not aligned and congruent and integral with what's truly highest on their values, they decrease the probability of sustainability in action. Now their highest value, and I've been doing value determinations for 42 years, speaking now 48 next month the next wow. and one thing i've observed is that our identity revolves around what we value most my highest value is teaching and researching and so if you ask me an ontological question who am i i would say teacher and whatever's really most valuable to somebody most priority to them their life and name and identity revolves around it so anytime they're not giving themselves permission to live congruently with what that highest value is. They decrease the probability of sustainability and they have procrastination, hesitation, frustration. Now compound that with um, measuring yourself relative to others. You walk in a mall, you see somebody and you think, oh, they're more intelligent. They have more success. They have more wealth. They have a more stable relationship or attractive spouse. They are more socially savvy and connected. They're more physically fit. They're more spiritually aware. The moment you compare yourself to somebody else, instead of comparing your daily actions to your own highest values mm -hmm. and living by priority, 
if you put them on a pedestal, you'll minimize yourself and shrink. Anytime you elevate somebody else, you d- depreciate yourself because you're comparing yourself to them and tend to inject their values and inculcate their values into your life. And you try to live in somebody else's values, not your own. And then what happens, you're like a cat expecting to, to swim like a fish and beating yourself up because why am I not being able to swim? Why am I sabotaged? Why am I not disciplined? Why am I not focused? And the more we compare ourselves to others and are too humble to admit what we see in them inside us and devalue ourselves and shrink and attempt to live in their values, which are lower on our value list, we procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate, and we get less certain about our direction. We cloud the clarity of our mission and purpose. And what we do is we, we shrink instead of shine. We live in the cloud instead of see the sunlight. And we end up depreciating ourselves. And then our decisions, we offload onto outer authorities and join the collective herd at a protection and fear of being wrong or rejected and hold ourselves back from doing something extraordinary that's unique. We all want to make a difference. But the second we are diluting our potential by living outside what's true for us, we end up fitting in instead of standing out. And we can't make a difference fitting in. We make a difference standing out. So if we don't fill our day with the highest priority actions that truly mean something to us, that are truly fulfilling, that are truly inspiring, that's something we spontaneously love doing that we don't have to be reminded or motivated to do, we're designed to devaluate ourselves, to let us know we're being inauthentic to our authentic self, to get us to go back to what is true. So I think everything that's going on in our physiology, psychology, sociology, everything is trying to give us feedback to guide us to most path of authenticity, as you called it, the pathway to purpose. Your purpose is an expression of your highest value. And the moment you fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, your day doesn't fill up with low priority distractions that don't and devalue you. Yeah, uh, that's that's fantastic, John. We talk at Boldly now, usually our, our entry point question is what's important to you? Um, and, you know, sometimes we find that people actually have a hard time distinguishing something specific. They'll say, my family's important to me. Well, what's important about that? And they're like, uh, and, and what I almost feel like there's a, an educational gap for people. Like we know how, and especially to today's hyper media connected world and, and, and social media and the newsfeed, which is just nonstop uh, reflection of that outside world where we, it's not only that we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, we're actually trying to fit ourselves into these boxes that are being projected at us all the time. Like, how do I fit? How do I fit? How do I fit? Um, and it's, and so it's like, it's really difficult to get people to actually just ask themselves the question, not well, how am I like this person or that person, but how am I? I, I started studying human values and have been lecturing about them for 42 years. Yeah. And majority of people, if you ask them, what do they value? They'll tell you social idealisms. Right. They'll tell you things that they think it should be. I have no interest in that because that has nothing to do with authenticity. I want to know what your life demonstrates because your actions speak louder than the words. My actions speak for 48 years researching and teaching. I don't need to be reminded to do that. I don't need motivation. If you need motivation to, to get you to do what you say is important, it's not important. If it's not intrinsically called from within to do it, it's not it. So I look at how people fill their space unconsciously. I look at how they spend their time. They find time, make time, spend time on things that are really valuable to them. I look at what energizes them and brings in inspiration and enthusiasm to them. I look at what they spend their money on. I look at what, where they're most organized and disciplined. I look at what they think about, visualize, internally dialogue with themselves about how they want their life that shows evidence of coming true. I look at what they want to converse spontaneously with people about. I look at what inspires them and brings tears to their eyes of inspiration. I look at what they have consistently and persistently taken actions towards. And I look at what they spontaneously can't wait to learn about and spontaneously keep looking up and wanting to learn about. They give me more of an indication of what they value. That those, those 13 value determinants give me more insight than me just asking what they value. Because they will tell you confusing things. I asked 5,000 people in Johannesburg one day at a, at a conference I was speaking at. I asked, how many of you would love to be financially independent? And all the hands and feet went up. And I said, now, how many of you are financially independent? 
And they all went down except for seven people in the room. I said, many people confuse what they fantasize about with what's true for them. I said, right now, the truth is you have a desire for living the lifestyles of rich and famous and buying consumables that depreciate in value. You don't have a value on buying an asset that gives you long-term passive income. So until you do, don't expect to be financially independent. So your hierarchy of values is dictating your financial destiny. And it's not, if you don't know yourself and you don't set goals and structure your life to live by what's true value, then you're going to end up with the self-depreciating uncertainty and you'll end up being part of the herd instead of being herd. You'll end up with futility instead of utility. Uh, That's really great. Great, John. I just, you know, like I want to just tag this for our listeners a little bit. Um, We all think that we know what our values are. And, and, but, but I think what, what we're getting from John is that we tend to just pick the, the ones that make us look good. You know, like, like all my values align with, and maybe they align with a, a certain, you know, a demographic or segment or, or movement in the world. And like, oh, I'm like them. And if, if, I, if I think they're, they're a value, then I must be a value because I'm like them versus this more, if you will, personal and intimate inquiry into what my values are. And then those values show up in our behavior. I mean, if you want to know what your values are, take, take a look at what you're doing with your day. I think that's really, really great. Now, John, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about something in terms of value that maybe you're uniquely qualified to answer for me. Like, I really get the, the at home here personally. I, I really get that. And I get how, for me, for me personally, I get how I align my, uh, my daily life, uh, my conversations, my work with what is important for me. Um, but I'm also really, really curious about what's important for all human beings or what a, a, a larger, um, you know, higher functioning society might look like, or what would it look like for my kids or grandkids or even kids that aren't even born yet? What, it, what might a better world look like? And how do I get, how do I kind of start to see that? Um, especially if I'm getting bombarded with these messages that are telling me what what's good and they aren't maybe, well, I think the proof's in the pudding. What's being produced right now is not that great for the planet or for the people on the planet. How do I get some sense of, of global value or at least something I can relate with so that I know how to align myself with that. Well, values um, pass through the social economics from those who have the most power to those that have the least power. Mm. People who live by their congruently by their highest values live what they call ontologically, mm. and they are approximating their true nature of being, their essence of being. And people that live by lower values because they're trying to fit in and they're part of the herd, if you will. They live deontologically. They live by duty. This is what I should do. I ought to do. I'm supposed to do. I have to do. I've got to do. I must do. I need to do. And that's the quiet life of desperation instead of a life of inspiration. So whoever has the most congruency eventually rises and ends up leading. And those leading then, they exemplify their own values. And then other people sometimes compare themselves to that, subordinate to that, and try to inculcate those values into their life, which results in futility. Because anytime you try to live outside your own values, you get feedback to let you know you're not being authentic. You're, being, you're trying to fit in. You're trying to be a second Elvis instead of being you. I have no desire to be anybody but me. Now, there's a full spectrum. I've been studying values a long time, and there's a full spectrum of values across the world, and it is essential to try to get everybody to have the same set of values as futility. Never gonna happen. The law of heuristic escalation will immediately emerge if you try to force tyrantly, you know, autocratically a set of values on people, you'll get a revolution. So it's not about getting, here's the set of values that everybody needs. That's a false construct that many companies fall for. Here's the company values. That's, that's a false construct. Every human being has a unique set of values and is based on their own unique experiences that are building the voids in their life that make those values. So it's not about getting the value, this is the values you need. Researchers for centuries, you can go all the way back to Aristotle and the Greeks, all the way through McIntyre and other philosophers. There's never been a universal value structure across the world. If you look through time and space, locally or globally, there's never been a universal value system. So a moral rigidity towards that will automatically fall apart. But what's wisdom is being true to yourself where you're most objective and mastering the skill of not 
looking down on people or looking up at people, not putting people in pits or pedestals. If you put people in pits, you exaggerate yourself and you're not authentic. When you put people in pedestals, you minimize yourself and you're not authentic. It's only when you have equanimity within you and equity between you and other people and you respect them for their own unique values and know that they're unique and you're just meeting a unique individual on the planet, a unique flower. And then you care enough about that human being to communicate what you value, which is deeply important to you, like a salesperson in terms of their values, not trying to change them, not trying to change you. If you're trying to change you relative to them and looking up on a pedestal, you'll self-defeat. If you try to get them to live in your values, it'll be self-defeating. But if you care enough about humanity to care about each individual and find out what they value most and articulate what you want and what you believe will be valuable in a way that fulfills their values, which is a trainable science and art, then what happens, they're going to perceive that you're a charismatic individual because they're getting what they want by being with you. And when they feel that they're getting what they want, they want to help you get what you want because it's helping them get what they want. And now there's a spontaneous emergence of a greater collective, not subordinating to a culture on the outside, but building a culture of people who are inspired. Right. That's that's a really different way of looking at it. Instead of like there's something external that needs to be built or done or handled, it's actually person to person in their own authentic values. Um, and and like tying that into like how I, how I go out in the world, and it's a that's a different thing. Like if I meet somebody, it almost it it means that I actually have to inquire about them, have to be interested in them. I can't just know something. We don't have business cards that have our values printed on them. And if we did, it would probably be kind of fake and not really real. But how, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that, about what is it like to be a person that, that comes to know other people's values? I uh, just went down to get a sandwich here at my hotel. Mm-hmm. And um, there were two people that recognized me when I went to the lobby. And they gave me their cards. They work for a company there. They own the company and work there. And uh, he's seen me on YouTube, so he recognized me. So we started chatting. And we probably spent 30 minutes together. I never met them before, didn't know anything about them. So they wanted to talk about me. They want to ask me questions. I turned the questions around and I asked them, tell me about your life. How did you start your business? What did you do? And I acquired in that 30 minutes a great deal about what's important to them and a great deal about what's going on. And I didn't try to sell anything. I didn't try to project anything. I didn't try to, you know, I didn't say anything hardly about me. They, they were looking up. They wanted to look me up afterwards because I made them feel that they were the center of the world. And I didn't do that as a manipulation. I did it because they were intriguing people. I wanted, I, wanted who they, I wanted to know who they were. When you care enough about somebody to know who they are and you ask them questions, and you know questions to ask to find out what's important to them, like, like the ones I gave you, you can discern very quickly, prudently, um, a great deal about people. And when they feel you're trying to help them fulfill what's most meaningful to them, they're automatically, because of your exemplification and honoring them, they automatically are drawn to you. And they want to know what you're up to. And so when I left there, they both want to go online and go look up at what's going on. So I didn't have to say anything. I just had to care about them. And if I do that, uh, if I help other people get what they want to get in life, as Zig Ziglar taught me when I was 20, uh, I get what I want to get in life. So we all we have to do is stop. And if we exaggerate ourselves and talk down to them, we're careless. If we minimize ourselves and talk up to them, we're careful. But if we look across them and we see them as, as reflections of some part of ourselves, we're caring. And I have yet to find anything that I met in anybody else that I didn't have in my own life. I found that that I have everything that I see. So whenever I judge, I'm just looking at myself. So I found that by doing that, if I want to love me, if I can love them, it helps me love me. So I found that that's probably the most efficient way of initiating that momentum building impact on society. Exemplification. Yeah, we have a, a, a principle at Boldly now called listening for. And uh, we put people in, in triads usually and have them listen for each other. Like, can you hear their greatness coming through? Can you ask a question that, that uncovers that more? Um, and it seems to be 
like a lot of people come to us and they say two things that I'm really surprised about. One is that I've never done that. I've actually not listened and not been kind of nonstop thinking about what I want to say. And the other thing is we've had, um, we've had people come to us and say that I've never been listened to like that. We had a, an executive treat last night. We do these things called future searches. And we had a guy that, you know, was in his mid sixties and he came up to us after doing a half an hour uh, work in a, a paired chair with this. And he says, I, I can't believe I've never been listened to like that before. Um, well, most people, most people live with alternating monologues hmm. and rarely with dialogue. And alternating monologues is I'm speaking, you're not listening, you're speaking, I'm not listening. Hmm. And we don't even know what we said throughout the evening. Hmm. Instead of actually having a dialogue where you actually are articulating questions and dialogue based on priorities of both their, those individuals' lives. Hmm. And talking about those things that are most priority are the ones that are most engaging and create the most sustainable relationships. So identifying what's really priority of the individual and learning about that is very well. One of the greatest questions I think that make a difference in communication is first asking questions to find out what they're dedicated to. And then second, asking how specifically are them being dedicated to what they're committed to in life? How's it helping me fulfill what I'm dedicated to and what I'm committed to? And if I answer that question, instead of saying, I don't know, it's not, but answer that question, the more engaging I answer that question, the more inspired I am to be with him. We do an exercise at a training program I do on values. And we sit there, we, we determine each other's values, and then we make a link between the values by asking how specifically what your highest value is, how is it helping me fulfill what mine is. And they have to come up with a minimum of 30 answers for the top three values of both of them. Wow. And they got an hour and a half to do it. And when they're done, we had 66 people in Tokyo do this at a training program there. These are all executives and coaches and consultants from major companies. And uh, out of the 66 people that did it, which is 33 pairs, 24 of the 33 started business deals after that. And they'd never met each other in that room beforehand. Right, wow. Because what happens is when somebody feels that their values are gonna be met and, and enhanced by being with that individual, and both do that, they both get engaged and they come up with creative ways of helping each other. And so business transactions, and I show this to them to show them that business transactions spontaneously emerge to the degree of the reflection and communication that people have. And that's, that's an art of asking the right question. Right, that, that's, um, that's um, we're like really up on the verge of something like a new way of being together. If we can uh, get interested in other people ask the right questions to find out what their values are. Can, can, I, can I share a funny story? Can I share yeah. a funny story? Go, John. Okay. So I'm doing one of my, my signature program in Sydney, Australia. And there's about 250 people at this program. I've done this program now 1,114 times. Done it in 66 countries. It's called the Breakthrough Experience, right? And I get there early. It starts at 8 in the morning. I get there about 7.45. And I'm running up to the front and checking my mic and this kind of thing. And normally we have everybody waiting outside and then we let them all in the room at the last minute. But there was a lady there and a guy that had snuck in. And the guy was eating something really quick to try to, and kind of munching down and kind of, kind of grossly eating and wasn't dressed all that nice. And there was this lovely lady up in the front. And when I walked in, she said, oh, Dr. Martini." I've been wanting to come to your program for so long that I'm finally here and I'm so grateful to be here. And I said, well, let's thank you for coming. And she said, I came here to find my soulmate. And I said, great. And I said, what about this man right here? And she looked over her shoulder and she goes, oh no, Dr. Demartini, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not my type at all. And he's just chomping and kind of grossly eating. And I said, I'm surprised. And she said, why? I said, do you know who this man is? Said, you don't recognize him? No. He's one of the wealthiest billionaires on the planet. We let him in so he could be incognito dressed down and he's just trying to be as, as fitting in as possible. But he's, he's one of the most connected individuals with the top eight list of prime ministers and presidents and celebrities. And he travels the world on his yachts and his planes and his homes around the world. 
and uh, and I went on and I stacked up a bunch of things that I know the woman would be a bit enamored with, right, in her values. And I, I just made it up just for fun. And within about three or four minutes of saying all these things about him, I said, well, now I need to go get my mic on. And she said, well, aren't you going to introduce me to him? So what happened was she had a preconceived subjective bias based on his looks and the way he was eating. That No, I have no interest in that. And we all do. We all have a search image. And if it doesn't match it, we're not interested. But what all of a sudden is I stacked up some highly probable ideals to show her how quick her perceptions could change. That it has nothing to do with what's going on in the outer world. It has everything to do with her perceptions. And I stacked up enough of them where all of a sudden she was now interested in knowing who this guy was. And I explained to her afterwards, I said, the reason I did that is to show you how fast you can change your state of mind by changing the questions you ask yourself and what you're able to perceive out of your environment. Now, I made that up and that's not it, but I did that to show you what you're capable of doing. You can take any situation you've ever experienced in your life or any individual you meet and you could turn it into a mountain or a molehill. You could turn it into a heaven or a hell. You could turn it into a, a, a lover or somebody you could kill. It's all of your perception. And if you ask the right questions, it can guide you to get you a result of having the perceptions that lead you to what you say you want. Anyway, that was a, an interesting exercise. And she said, I can't believe how easy in a matter of a few minutes you made me take somebody I would never even think about. And you made me interested in it. I said, I know. I can make you could go reject the person by telling you something about the affairs he's had this week and the guy, the girl she's been, he's been with and make you just turn off or I can make you turn on by the asking you questions, making you aware of things that you're unconscious of at the present. So the ratios of perceptions have a lot to do whether you have impulses toward or instincts away from people, or if you balance it, how to actually appreciate and love the individual for who they are. Yeah, we're 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 trapped by those perceptions, right? We're like like a puppet on a string, you know, like whatever whatever is going to best benefit me in the moment, we go towards that. Versus this other way we're talking about being, which is just being interested in them and their values, and then seeing how that matches with my values and what together we can create. That's a that's a very different way of being in the world, and I would imagine it takes a, a little bit more um, effort. You actually have to intend for that to happen versus just stumble well, into. It starts out being effort, but the way the brain is set up, uh, your brain is constantly looking for the most effective and efficient pathway to get what you want in life. And so it's discerning advantages and disadvantages. So once it sees that it's more effective to apply those principles, it doesn't feel like effort. It's just initially because you're not accustomed to it. Like anything else, riding a bike the first time was awkward. But once you're accustomed to it and you see it and it works, your brain trains itself in that direction. And you realize that that's a, a wise way to approach people. People all want to be loved and appreciated for who they are. And who they are is an expression of what they value most. So that's, that's universal. And if we, we want to be that way. So if we know uh, what's really important to us and we know what's important to them, we have a higher probability of knowing how to dialogue. Yeah, that's interesting because we all have patterns of behavior that we made up when we were kids and things that don't serve us or maybe hurt other people or hurt ourselves. And, and I think people are always trying to get beyond that or not do that anymore. And what you're saying is that actually I can engage in a more effective pattern of behavior. My brain will start working for me to produce that. It's self, it's, it's a, a homeostat, an allostat automatically refining us. In fact, every behavior we have we get feedback on, but we overlook it. Our addiction to being right and our addicted to be, you might say, subjectively opinionated blocks us from actually experiencing a profound love that we can have in life. Right. So our animal nature wants to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And we want immediate gratification towards the pleasure. And that interferes with the pursuit of meaning and fulfillment, which transcends that monopole thinking and allows you to embrace objectively what's actually there. If I walk up to somebody and I say, you know, if I walked up to you and I said, you know, that 
that uh, you are always nice, never mean, always kind, never cruel, always giving, never taking, always generous, never stingy, always positive, never negative, always peaceful, never wrathful. If I said you're always that way and you're never the other side, your own BS meter, your psychostat would go off and go, uh, not exactly. And you immediately be thinking of the times when you were mean or negative or whatever. And you think about it. If I went to you and I said, you're always mean, you're never nice. You're always cruel, you're never kind. You're always negative, never positive. I went the other way. Your BS meter would go off again. Your psychostat would go off and go, no, I'm a nice guy. I can think of the times when I've been up and positive and generous. But if I went to you and I said, sometimes you're nice, sometimes you're mean, sometimes you're kind, sometimes you're cruel, sometimes you're positive, sometimes you're negative, you would immediately go, that's true. You would have certainty when I had an objective view about you. And you would automatically have uncertainty when I tried to project a one-sided view of you. And so we cannot have certainty in our pursuit in life as long as we have polarized views about life. And when we live by our highest value, we get more objective and see both sides of things. And when we live by our lower values, we get more subjective and only want one side of things. And so it's not going to be easy to have a loving relationship when you're trying to get rid of half of you or half of them. So you, until you can embrace both sides of yourself and both sides of other people that are truly there, it's, it's unlikely to have real dialogue. I, I did a, a very interesting experiment many years ago, 30-something years ago. I went through the Oxford Dictionary, the big dictionary, very fine paper, small print dictionary. And I went and circled every possible human behavioral trait. And yeah, I'm neurotic enough to do it. I do things like that. I circled every human behavioral trait I could find in the dictionary, page by page by page. I found 4,628 individual traits that human beings could do at the time. And then I wrote out to the side of that, the name of somebody who was the most extreme example of that behavior that I could think of, put their initial out. And then I stopped and one by one over a couple of years, I asked myself, where and when do I display or demonstrate that particular behavior? To who do I do it to and who's perceived me that way? And I found out that I had every one of the behaviors, all 4,620 traits. I was nice, I was mean, I was kind, I was cruel, I was honest, I was dishonest, I was open and closed and giving and taking. And I had every trait, deceptive and loyal and everything. And I identified that I had every one of them. And then I realized when I'm judging somebody and I'm admiring them, it's because I'm too humble to admit that I have it and when I'm despising them, I'm too proud to admit that I have it. But the truth, I have everything I see in them. And if I'm proud of it, I want to be around them because I like them, because they're reminding me of me, uh, the thing I want to be. And if I'm despising them and resenting them, it's because I'm too proud to admit that I have it. But I have it, and I feel ashamed of it, and I don't want them to bring it out. So I'm going around, and I realize that until I went in there and honored all myself, I was going to have a hard time appreciating the people around me. And I was then going to tend to project or in, inject their values or project their, my values, which are futile. If I try to get them to live in my values or try to get and live in their values, it's futility. But if I realize that they're all reflections and honor that and kind of jokingly look at myself as I see them doing things, and then I have something I can relate to them by. Because if you deny what you see in them, it's hard to communicate. You're not seeing connection. But when you have equanimity within yourself, and you own both sides of yourself and equity between yourself and them, amazing dialogues can emerge. And there's a, a feeling that they can be freely themselves in front of you. And they're magnetized to you because people who exemplify authenticity draw other people who want to be that same way. And that's a, that's a really key one there. You know, sometimes we'll be in um, relationship with somebody for, for some reason, maybe we're doing a project together at work and then they disappoint us in some way. They, they don't deliver the day they're supposed to deliver, or they say something a little brusquely in a meeting, and suddenly we we just create a whole world about them. And obviously, we don't want to be that way ourselves, so we feel superior. I mean, it's like didn't that that seems like one of the most basic interactions that that we human beings are running around doing every day. So let's let's just imagine this through here. I'm in a meeting, and something happens, and I walk out, and the first thing that's in my mind is, oh man, they're X Y Z, right? You know, like what what can I do in that moment to to kind of restore that equanimity. Our intuition is always trying to bring our unconscious to full consciousness. Mm -hmm. So let's say we infatuate with somebody. We're conscious of their upsides. We're unconscious of their downsides. 
when we do, we're unconscious of our upsides and conscious of our downsides in comparison, because we're comparing. If we resent somebody, we're conscious of their downsides, unconscious of their upsides. And now we're conscious of our upsides and unconscious of our downsides. So we have a subjective bias on ourselves and them when we do that. So every time we judge, we're dividing ourselves into conscious and unconscious halves, which gets stored in our subconscious mind and regurgitate every time somebody reminds us of those, those experiences. So what intuition does is trying to reveal to you the side that you're ignorant of. So if you go off and you're a, a woman and you go out with this guy that's like super hot and you're all infatuated with him, your intuition is saying too good to be true. Keep your eyes open, watch out. What's wrong with this guy? And if you meet with somebody there's you're resenting, your intuition is trying to say, there's gotta be meaning in this. Why is this happening? There's gotta be a purpose to this. So your intuition is always trying to bring to you the unconscious up to the conscious so you can be fully conscious. So there's no, no reason we can't just ask questions that balance out our perception. So I do that. I go, one, I ask when I see somebody I'm infatuated with or resentful, let's say, okay, what specific trait, you know, action or inaction, do I perceive them displaying or demonstrating that I despise most? I ask the question so I narrow it down and not generalize. What is it specifically about it? Then I go, go to a moment where and when I perceive myself displaying or demonstrating that trait. Because when I see that I do the same thing to the same degree as them, that calms down some of my judgment. And then I go, at the moment they did it, how does it serve me? What's the upside to it? Most people just assume it's bad because they're trapped in some hypocritical moral idea. But the real truth is there's something that comes out of it because we've had things in our life that we thought were terrible and a day, a week, a month, a year, five years later, we look back and go, thank God that occurred. So why wait and have the wisdom of the ages with the aging process? You can have the wisdom of the ages without it by asking what is the upsides now or downsides for the things you're infatuated with. And if you ask what's the upside in that moment and don't stop saying it's not, stay victims of history, but become masters of destiny and be accountable to see both sides. The one who sees both sides and centers themselves gets objective, doesn't react, and is able to dialogue. If not, they're going to get self-righteous and talk down and alienate and try to get them to live in their values, and they create futility, and they spend all that energy dissipative instead of constructive. So I take the time to ask those questions, and I compiled a series of questions for that objective, and they work like a science, but it's your discipline to take and ask the questions. Yes, we have to, we have to stop. Is the first thing we have to do, right? Well, you, you can either engage and go down a dramatic, accelerating um, drama and then end up having all these emotions that are occupying your mind. Because anything you infatuate with or resent is going to occupy space and time in your mind until you finally balance it out. You're highly infatuated with somebody, you can't sleep at night thinking about them. If you're highly resentful, you can't sleep at night. But if you're balanced, you get to rest and you have an inner calmness and a centeredness and you think objectively. And you know when you're doing something that's high in priority and you're very objective in the day, you're more resilient, more adaptable, your heart rate variability is more broadened, you have more uh, power to not let the world on the outside interfere with the vision on the inside. So we, so we stop, ask ourselves some questions. Uh, you know, what about this infatuation? You know, like, well, how am I like the person I'm infatuated with or how am I like the one I may be despising? And then- and it, What's the downside and what's the upside of this? Because you're, it's your illusion. And, and then it seems like the next thing is to actually get back in touch with my highest values and inquire to myself what serves that value the most. That way, get, that way I actually get to action. I actually know what action to take. A great question is what is the highest priority action? The one thing I can do right now in this moment that allows me to serve the greatest number of people in the most effective and efficient manner that absolutely inspires me. Well, if you do that, if you do that every day, I've been doing that, I did that. I learned that a modified idea of that from Mary Kay, from Mary Kay Cosmetics, when I spoke to their group many years ago, 34 years ago, maybe, 35 almost. And um, I met with her and I asked her, you know, what advice could she give a young speaker traveling the world? And she said that. And so I asked, what is the highest priority action I can do each day to do it? And I kept records of it on index cards that I kept in my pocket. And I asked, what are the seven highest priority actions I can do in it today? And I kept those and kept them in a box. And then I looked at what was the highest priorities of the highest priorities over a long period of time. 
And it came out research, write, travel, teach. Right. So then I, once I realized what my highest priority was, I made a commitment to delegate every single thing off my plate and not do anything but research, write, travel, teach. So I don't do anything else. I haven't driven a car in 32 years. I haven't cooked since I was 24. I delegate everything. People think that I'm bizarre because I don't do anything but four things. And right now my traveling is on Zoom. I used to be traveling and flying but, and sailing. But uh, they said, well, what, what do you do about your, your relationship and sexuality? They were joking with me one time. And I said, well, I learned that if I go to my girlfriend and I say to her, I find out who her favorite celebrity is. And if I say, honey, if I was to have Hugh Jackman or Brad Pitt or Gerard Butler or Viggo Morgison or something uh, to make love with you on my behalf, would you still love me? And they would say, I would love you even more. So I found out that it, I'm joking a bit. But the point is that, that I delegate things because anytime you're doing something that doesn't inspire you, you're devaluing yourself. And anytime you're doing something that is lower on your values, you're lowering your energy. Ricardo, the economist, found out that every country has resources that give it a competitive advantage, an absolute advantage in the marketplace. And that's true not just for a country, it's true for every individual. Every human being has an area of greatest resource. And what I've found in all these years is that the greatest resource is going to be an expression of what they value most. So what I value most is learning and teaching. So that is where I excel. That is where I can't wait to get up in the morning and do it. I can do it all day long, 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day. It doesn't stop. Because if I find out what that one thing is, as Gary Keller said, that one thing that is absolutely the most inspiring thing. And I build momentum building that and doing a incremental baby action steps every day to fulfill that until that's all I get to do. All, the rest of it's delegated. I get to hire people. I get to help the economy. I get to extract surplus labor value out of their services. I get to earn more. I get paid more. I get to serve more doing what I absolutely love to do. And that's a science. It's reproducible. I've taught thousands of people this and it changes their life. So you don't want to spend any moment of your life doing lower priority things because it's going to end up devaluing it. And it's designed to, to offer you feedback to let you know you're not being authentic. Yeah, wow. Um, John, I'm so appreciative of that. You know, the, the, if you don't know what your highest value is, what's your purpose, if you don't have some articulation that comes to mind like right off the bat, it, you shouldn't have to scratch and search for what's most important to me. If you don't know that, then there's no way to do what, what, what Dr. Martini just said to do. There's no way to align your life like that and to get really, really focused until you've done the work to discover that. You've got to find that highest value, that purpose. It's not that difficult. I, on my website, drdmartini.com, there's a complimentary value determination process that I would encourage people to go to. It's free, it's private. Nobody's gonna see it except you. You can store it. And do it a week from now and a month from now and three months from now. Because sometimes you'll lie to yourself the first time. Mm. You'll try to write down what you think it should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be, what you wish it would be, what it used to be. None of those are what matter. Mm. And you're just fooling yourself. But go in there and do the exercise, the value determination process. And um, do it again and again until a tear comes out of your eye. Until you go, wow, that is what my life demonstrates. Mm. My life demonstrates that. Can I share another story? Can I do that? Yeah, yeah. go, John. So, so I'm in London. I'm teaching the Breakthrough Experience in London near Kensington Palace. And there's a lady there on Sunday, the second day of my program. And we're now getting more, we're, we're polishing and refining what we really want to energy to put our energy into our mission in life. And she pretended she didn't know. And I hear that weekly because Deep inside, your life demonstrates it, but it doesn't match the fantasy that you're, you're putting in front of yourself. So she says, I just don't know what I want to do. I don't know what to do. And I said, stop. Every time you say things like that to yourself, you're just clouding your mind further. Let's stop and look at what your life demonstrates. And let's look at what you do spontaneously. So in a day, what do you do spontaneously that you do every day that nobody has to remind you to do that you love doing? I don't know. Now, I, 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 stop, stop it. What do you do on a daily basis 
every day they inspire to do that you love doing that you do spontaneously. And she stopped and reflected. And she said, spend time with my kids, be with my kids. I said, do you love that? She said, yeah. I said, you do it every day? You never miss that, do you? I said, your life demonstrates that you love being with the kids, love being a mother. She goes, yeah. I said, the reason why you're saying that you don't know what you want is because you're comparing yourself to somebody. Who are you comparing yourself to? And then two women came up. One was a businesswoman that had kids and one that was a socially savvy, influential way, a woman that had some kids. And I said, so listen, you're comparing yourself to these women and you're thinking you should be having a business. You should be doing these social causes. But the fact is, if we had these women here and we determine what was valuable to them, we would see that, yes, they do have children, but that's not their highest value. The highest value is that business. And she also wants to have kids. And the other one has a high value on social and wants to have kids. But your life is you want to have kids. You want to raise beautiful children in your life. And she started crying. And she says, that's all I've ever wanted to do. I said, but you've been comparing yourself to somebody else. And when you compare yourself to somebody else, you'll inject their values and it'll create confusion. And in the process of doing it, that'll cloud the clarity of what you feel is your mission in life. I said, you really want to raise some children at this stage of your life. That may change when they get older, but right now you want to do that. And she said, is that enough? And I said, let me explain to you something. I received a gift from one of my patients many years ago who gave me a book, Instantaneous Personal Magnetism by Edmund Chasper, the penman name. And in there, I found out that that book was in the family of the Kennedys. And the Kennedy handed it to her father and the father handed it to her and she's now giving it to me. Hmm. And in that book was a handwritten, scripted mission statement by Rose Kennedy. And the statement was that I dedicate my life to raising a family of world leaders. That was her mission statement. And she succeeded. Now, when I said that to her, she realized it was enough. And she bawled. She gave me a hug. And she wrote it down and she says, I got it. I said, you've known it all along. She goes, I know, but I was comparing myself to others and doubting myself and I'm being uncertain. I said, well, that's what most people do. They live through other people and they end up not appreciating themselves. So honor that you're a mother. And now a week, a month, five years, 10 years, that may evolve, that may change. Your values can change, but right now honor them. Because when you live congruently in the moment, the bouquet of opportunities will unfold and you'll be present and inspired. And what'll be ironic is those two women will probably look at you and subordinate to the way you raise those beautiful children. And they'll probably have uncertainties about what they're doing. So give yourself permission to lead, not uh, you know, to shine, not shrink, and to lead, not bleed. And go after what's true for you. And she wrote it down and wrote a beautiful mission statement. I had to read it when she finished it to the group. And it was authentic. And when you got a tear of inspiration, when you read it, that's when you know you got, that's what you're committed to. Because it, it matches your life. If it doesn't match your life, it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything. A mission statement for a company, if it doesn't match the leader's real life, it's meaningless. Nobody believes it. It has to be authentic. Thank you so much. Um, I, I have to say, uh, this conversation is, it's just the perfect time. Like, uh, our, our people who are following Boldly Now, the Boldly Now show and, and doing some of our courses, they're often struggling with this exact conversation. Like, what is mine to do? What am I here for? And what I love that you've said, uh, that's very unique today is that you said that they know. Really, they know, and they just have to get into a place where they're not comparing themselves to other people and spend the time it takes to get clear about that. And I love the notion till, till the tear comes down. You know, I, I had, pardon me for interrupting again. I, I made a statement that's almost a metaphysical statement. At the level of our soul, mm -hmm. 
And our soul stands for the state of unconditional love, our most authentic expression. Mm. At the level of our soul, nothing's missing in us. Mm. At the level of our senses, in our terrestrial sphere of existence, our existential world of becoming ontologically, things appear to be missing. And the only things that appear to be missing in us are the things we're too proud or too humble to admit what we see in others inside ourselves. And when we finally have reflective awareness, not deflective, and we own all of the traits and realize nothing's missing in us, we can have fulfillment and we can be ourselves. And we all yearn to want to be loved for that and not have to put ourselves in a box. So I believe that most everybody has had some stage in their life where they've had to master that, that journey. Thank you very much. Uh, John, I really appreciate our conversations. I walk away uh, not only inspired for the people who are listening to the show, but for myself and know that I, I, you know, the often we're doing this kind of work and um, it, it feels like maybe there's not a lot of people having this awareness. But then when I talk with you, it's like, wait a second, let's get this straight. We're all amazing, glorious beings and we're all here with unique gifts and unique purpose. And if anything doesn't seem right, it's just that it's not apparent to those people and that we're not helping them to bring that forth. And if we can do that together, if we can help rise each other up, if we can help uh, express our highest values while you know, learning about and encouraging the highest in values and others, I think everything's going to work out. Well, if we want to bring order to the world, all we have to do is recognize it. Yeah. It's already there. Leibniz, Leibniz in his discourse on metaphysics said something really nice. He said, there's a divine perfection, a divine beauty, a divine love, a divine order that's already present. And the day we awaken to it, we're in tears of gratitude for our existence. And we, with a ripple effect, impact, exemplify, and inspire others to recognize the same thing. So, yeah, there's nothing missing in people. We just, it's our job to go dig a little deeper. Dr. John Martini, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Boldly Now Show listeners, uh, be sure and go to uh, uh, Dr. Martini's site. Uh, what was that? That's that's is that. What was the URL good again, John? It's drdmartini.com.com. And there's the values assessment there. I encourage everybody to take that. And it sounds like you should take it today, again in a month, and again in three months, and see what comes out of that. Any tool that you can use to get closer to your highest value or your purpose, if it helps you to discover it. Please avail yourself of that. This is this is your uh, uh, this is your birthright to have your unique uh, values and your unique purpose expressed in the world. Uh, thank you, John. I appreciate it personally, and uh, look forward to our next conversation together. I look forward to it. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show, and um, thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate it. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Boldly Now is an initiative of the Generative Futures Initiative, generating a thriving future for humanity. Learn more at generativefuturesinitiative.com.